Well, looky who shows up this week following a little step in the arena vacation. That's right, fans. My co-host Edgar Burgos cheated on us with another podcast during our two-week break. We'll tell you all about it on the other side of this intro. This guy has made it through rounds playing the style that he plays. He named everyone. It's like this guy named all five of my game-winning shots from 2008, 2009. I played with two of the two of the most exciting players ever to play the game: Allen Iverson and Vince Carter. I'm Bobby C. He's Edgar Burgos, and this is Step in the Arena on the Cruise Control Podcast Network in collab with Hard to Guard Media. Thanks for tuning in on Twitter. As always, we appreciate the likes, the shares, the downloads, whether on Twitter, YouTube, Apple, or Spotify, wherever you are at this evening. Thanks for being there, listening, and watching to Step in the Arena. Ed, what do you have to say for yourself, my friend? Because I hear about this seat at the table, but I don't see a seat for myself or our awesome producer, Randy Cruz. No, it, it was cool, man. We did that two weeks ago, and then last week uh, we took a week off, but now I'm happy that we're back. I, I want Next week when we're back on, I want to see a new open. I think we've had enough guests where now it's time to put some pressure on Randy for a new open. You know, I think rumor had it as well. Like you say, we took the break last week, but I think our guest bailed to have dinner with his wife. So I, I don't think that this bodes well for our podcast credibility, but I, I think we're trucking along pretty good here. I'm happy to be back. It's always good to see you and really excited about our bounce back show this evening because we got an awesome, awesome guest joining us tonight. That might be a good place to kind of segue in, right? No? Yes, I agree. All right. How about once a Nick, always a Nick. Our guest this evening is former NBA star and enforcer. Charles Oakley. Oak, how's it going? I'm good. Uh, Oak, my I'm favorite good. guy. One of my favorite people. My guy. <laughs> What's going on? I'm just chilling, man. You know, just I'm just finishing up my book. You just said Enforcer. That was, the name going to be the last Enforcer in the NBA. So. <laughs> good name for a book. A you know, name, Oak, when, when Ed hits you up, you know, requesting to come on the podcast, at a, at a certain point, are you just like, all right, all right, enough, Ed, I'll come on. <laughs> Uh, you my guy, you my guy. I don't question nobody. I've been around someone, you know, like I said, on, on your journey, your life, career, NBA, whatever you know you were doing, someone, always someone, a little guy, someone to help you, this and that. I never forget the people who helped me. And I know he was a, a big part of New York and, you know, he had a tough job and everybody who worked at the garden have a tough job. But uh, I be, I'm a straight professional. Everybody, you know, really don't know me. But the people around me, they see my body at work, what I do night in, night out. That's what matters. Ed and oh. I are excited for the book, man. Really excited to, to oh, see yeah. that project. It's going to be a book you can't hold with one hand. You're going to have to hold it with two. <laughs> we talked to uh, Frank. We had Frank Isola on a couple of weeks ago. And okay. he, was telling, he was telling us a little bit about uh, working with you on the book. We, you know, he had, you know, Frank, Frank always got some jokes. <laughs> yeah, well, he got some jokes, but. I got more jokes than him in this book, but uh, it's going to be a good book. Just a lot of life, stu life stuff happened, good stories, and just it's something the world needs to see, hear, and uh, read about. And they, once they start reading about it and see it, probably going to be a movie after that. After that, you know, life is let it go. Oh, when did you feel like, like, when did you th think about, like, when you wanted to write a book about yourself and, like, the whole your whole journey? 
Um, I've been, I've been trying to get a book done for the last at least 12 years. Um, I've been through that journey going to meet different, uh, you know, uh, Simon, Susan. Uh, I mean, I just been through all the, the formats of, of like doing a book. You go meet all the people who can put you out and uh, tell you this and tell you that. We can give you this and can't give you that. Uh, so Amazon Prime and they had a book division and they stepped it up and here we are today and hopefully we turn it in next week. Hopefully we can uh, pre-sale by June and be out by August or September. So we round the corner. Is there a chapter on Edgar Burgos in the book, Oak? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a chapter. You got to read it. No, no specific you know, person, but it's going to be a lot of things. A lot of good stories. I mean, stories that people won't believe. They're going to say, this should have been out with Spike Lee, but shooting movies. But it's never too late. And this universe is never too late. And now when, I, when this book come out, people are going to see that, wow, I've been through a lot. So I have a lot of other people, but the way I went through it. I'm sure the fans will be excited to see if you kind of tell the real story of what's going on, maybe with James Dolan. I don't know if you saw the news today on social media, but uh, Patrick Ewing, apparently nobody knows who he is at Madison Square Garden. Well, that don't surprise me. Uh, you know, it's a plantation over there. If you ain't doing the work for them, they don't respect you. That's all I can say. You know, Spike, Patrick, myself, other people, fans, it's just a disrespectful situation over there. And I don't – he keeps saying uh, – he hired a lot of minority, but it just – you don't respect him. You hire me because it's, it's good for the job. It makes it seem like you're trying to help people in life. But but you keep doing the same thing to the other ones. So one hand don't wash the other hand. But the NBA, hey, the owners, the commission, they need – they somebody's going to have to step it up because they're going to get out of hand like everything else. And then it's going to be a big thing like it was in L.A. with Donna Sterling. And, you know – one thing with Donald Trump, at least he was at home. But this same person in the garden keep doing the same thing over and over, disrespecting people because he got a lot of money. The money, like got a lot of money issues. I think they're gonna be like, okay, well, a lot of guys got a lot of money, but they get in trouble now. You know, maybe that gets lost in the shuffle this year, Oak, because the Knicks have actually been somewhat relevant this year. It seems like you know fans not talking so much about those things; they're talking more about the product on the court. Uh. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel good for Julius Randle for making All-Star because last year I was saying they didn't have an All-Star. So he made All-Star, so shout out to him. Tip Door, you know, Rose with the job they're doing, bringing guys in, bringing Derrick Rose in. All-Star, you get him for cheap, uh, who know how to play. I mean, you should, like I say, now it's like the car, just holding the road, don't let it get off the road. And they should make the playoff. There should be a 7 8 seed in the playoff. I know second half of the season, other teams are gonna step their game up, so it's gonna be a battle. The night gonna never be easy, so I hope I hope they're not getting comfortable because they're in the fifth place for the playoff. But now, you know, everybody gonna be fighting because you got like twelve teams can make the tail playoff in the East, so it's a, it's never gonna be an easy game. So they got to come out every night to try to win when they can win. I was gonna say like Thibodeau, he's like your type of coach. Um, when he took the job, were you like happy for him? Did you guys communicate and you know you had like a quick conversation along you know, with? I, have a conversation. I mean, I know tears. My thing, I, I just said hope that you know with this young generation that these guys, the way he coached, he had to you know slack up a little. Um, he, he's the type of coach that real defined and, and knowing your job, knowing your role, knowing your job, 
and knowing the system that he wanted to run and special defense, you know. And that's why the Knicks been playing. They've been playing better defense and giving themselves a chance on the offense end because you're going to miss shots. But defense, just keep your guy in front of you. You're going to have to give some, uh, Mitchell Robinson a shout-out and Noel for Clark and Miller. So they got some good pieces on the team. Hopefully that, you know, they can jail in the second half of the season to make a run to make the playoff next year and another piece. And that's how they're going to have to build this team. I don't think no big-time free agent going to come in, so you're going to have to build through the draft and hope that the guys you have, you can get them better. Go ahead, cut you off, Ed. Go ahead, hop back in. There's another team out in uh, New York, the Brooklyn Nets, and they just picked up Blake Griffin. Do you think they have too much firepower now? I don't consider Blake Griffin the firepower. I think he's another body you would need when you want to go different lineups. Um, You know, I think they got a – Jeff uh, from Georgetown there, and then they got uh, Daniel Jordan. So they can play, you know, Jeff at the five, Griffin at the four, Katie at the three, Kyrie at the one and two, and, and Hart. So they're going to have – I mean, they playing well. They, even they bench guys playing well. And that's that's what you want to see because they jail. Uh, I know that, you know, McQuire Leonard went to um, Toronto Raptors. No one expected them to get to the finals and win it. And – I think uh, Brooklyn is in the same situation, how they jail. But, you know, they got some great players with KD, Kyrie, and James, guys who want to win, guys sharing the ball. And their role players have been playing well. So I was watching some of the game tonight against Boston. It's just, you know, Kyrie just a piece. And, you know, you know James going to do his thing. But just with mean, Kyrie engaged and going, ain't no stopping you know, as one of the greatest Knicks of all time, would it pain you to see Brooklyn win a championship before the Orange and Blue win one, Oak? That's life. I mean, I'm not a hater. You know, when you do right, things come right. So when you do wrong, don't expect so much good stuff. And it is what it is. You know, I, I feel sorry for the fans. You know, we couldn't win one for them when I played in 93, 94, but they still wait. They still cheering for the team. But like I said, it's, it's, it's 100 miles to go. You only got enough gas of 25 miles. So you can't get it so far. You know, you got to walk down to 75 or either try to hope that somebody pick you up, give you a lift. And, and what well, Brooklyn did, all the right stuff. I mean, they, they over the last three or four years, they got guys, They you know, they worked with them, got them better. They either traded to get pieces or they're still on the team. And, you know, so they built their team through the draft. And uh, Sean Mark did a great job over there. Uh, to get to land three top superstars in two years, it's just that's amazing. And New York, right here, really? so really disrespect for New York, but you can't hate, don't hate the game, enjoy the game. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing as a Nick fan for me is you know, still, I understand this year has been much better for them, but it's like. You know how it's it's difficult to still wrap your mind around the fact that we can't get KD, that we can't get Kyrie, that we can't trade for Harden, at least not yet. And it's hard to get excited about the moves, even though again there's been progress. It's just hard to get excited when you see Brooklyn across town, and they've right. never really had success the way the Knicks have in the past. Be able right. to do all of this. Well, I mean, they've been patient. They, I mean, last couple of years, you know, they made the playoff, you know, seven, eight seed, but they made the playoff. And this year, they probably go deep in the playoffs. And I guess they wait till they turn, and they, they did the right way. They didn't try to just force guys over there. This, but my thing with 
for the Knicks trying to get a superstar. You didn't have nothing to trade to get a superstar, so that wasn't going to happen. So if you were to trade uh, Judah Randall, R.J. Barrett, and you wouldn't have had nothing left on the team. Brooklyn Brooklyn has a solid seven guys without the superstar. That's why they had to get three of them up, and they still have a couple of them on the, you know. So you had to get something – you have to have something to give to the team that you were trying to get a super superstar and a couple of players and a couple of draft picks. And in Brooklyn, they had that. I mean, Sean, like I said, to give Sean Mark credit, you know, he played it to the team. Would you give uh, one of your favorite people on this planet, uh, LeBron James, would you say that they're still the favorites to win the, the whole thing again if Anthony Davis is healthy? Uh, yes, no doubt. They still favor, you know, hopefully that. Uh, AD come back, but my thing is they should have kept either Joy Howard um, or Javel McGee because last year they did a great job of blocking the middle. Uh, high percentage. Yeah, when a guy go five or six, another guy go four for five. They shooting eighty nine percent from the field. That help a team. I mean, they can dunk to lay up, and it, it's not a high. You know, it's a high. You know, efficiency is great because they go. Like I said, the White played great last year. I'm surprised Golden State didn't try to get him. I'm surprised the Knicks. You know. Because I think he only went to Philly for like two or three million dollars. He should definitely be getting ten million dollars in this game today. Because he showed last year, he still got three, probably at least three years left in him. You know what I love? Oh, I, I've been when I'm around it, but you know, sometimes you you, you laugh, you you have a grin. Is when these guys call you Uncle Oak. <laughs> yeah. How's that feel? It feel good. I mean, you know, they look up to me and. They respect me, my craft, my body work, me as a person. You know, I keep it real. Uh, I don't, you know, I just, I'm I'm just glad they can look at me and, like, call me or talk to me or whatever. Uncle, hey, that's, that's respect. So some guys, they don't say nothing to them. So at least they said something to me. So that's out of respect. Oak, a recurring theme here on our show is the fact that Ed every week just actually slacks off more and more, and it has to do with the background for him. I mean, we we actually had in the beginning of this show, we had nothing behind him. Then okay. he actually he copied my curtain theme that I got going on here, and now tonight he's just back to square one. You have a beautiful sculpture behind you, very artistic. I was hoping yeah. you could inspire Edgar Burgos perhaps for yeah. future shows with some uh, creativity. Well, Sometimes, you know, hey, you catch me next week, it might just be a plain wall. So y'all caught me on a good night. So it could have been a busy day. I just want to be in a comfortable, in a couple of plays and just want to just, hey, you know, hey, I know last time we tried to set this up, I don't know if something happened, but I want to make sure tonight, you know, because I ain't want to say like, wow, Oak Duck, him. this my guy here. He always called me. He's been there for me. So I just really respect him for what he always trying to do. And they're always positive. Yeah, uh, so Bobby, when I told him you was coming on last time, he was like, Oak, I need to interview Oak, and you didn't come on. He was like, you scammed I, I was very disappointed, Oak. <laughs> heartbroken, very much heartbroken, because Ed likes Sorry. to tease these big guests, and then all of a sudden, you know, like Whoa. I said, maybe they go for dinner with their wife, and then all of a sudden, there's no <laughs> podcast. I, I, I mean, I know you put me in the... the uh, the big guest. I'm just, I'm just a regular guest. I, I accept that, you know, because like I said, when guys been true to me, I'll be true to them. And when they call me to help any kind of way, I always try to I always try to do it what I can do to help them. So, see, you know, Oak, I, I beg to differ, man. I mean, I think about obviously your story, and you know, we talk about the book at the top of the 
the top of the show here. I mean, I think it's very interesting here in the month of March. I wanted to talk some college basketball with you because for a guy that ended up playing Division II basketball, you end up being the Division II player of the year and you have this, this great NBA career. You know, how challenging was it to prove to people that you could play in the NBA? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't to prove to people. I think once they draft me at a number like number nine in the top 10 players, they knew I could do something. My thing was just keep doing what I was doing, just try to get better and learn, learn the ropes for the NBA or what they expect out of you. And it's always hard work and termination, know what you're doing. So I had all that locked up from college. My college coach was great. Uh, Dave Roberts, he was always a detail guy. You know, he worked you hard, you know, and so keep you focused on what you should be doing, offense, defense. It wasn't easy. Like, the system was kind of difficult. So, you know, so I learned that, and I said, well, NBA probably more plays and stuff, and, and exactly what it was. A lot of plays, you get your playbook, like 100 pages. In college, you might have 10 pages. So it was a point of just, like, staying focused and just keep working on my craft. I mean, you might be able to write a book about that 85 team. I mean, you guys go 31-1 and at Virginia Union. You average 24 points and 17 rebounds. Like I said, D2 player of the year. Uh, lead the country in rebounds at that time. I mean, that's those are some impressive stats, uh, and I think uh, something to be very proud of in terms of college career. I don't know that, you know, for a guy who couldn't really jump high with a rim, no, it was just a, it was hard work. You, tell, you know, like a guy, you know, when you build a house, you got you know, you got to tear down the space, lay concrete, and all that stuff. So, they, I have to put myself in that mode, just always knowing I have to work. I worked the guy in front of me, and I got a chance. I played the East West All Star Game. I played in Hawaii, and I'm playing against all these Division One guys. And I'm just, you know, I'm I was already, you know, good size, so it wasn't like I was like, you know, afraid of the body to contact. It was just they went to bigger name schools, so. I like I, I tell everybody, I always like my chance, no matter what it is and who I have to go against. You know, this is this my uh, this is what I do. I like the challenge. Oak, I was gonna say, like you know, when you was in Chicago and when you found out you got traded uh, to New York, um, were you happy or sad about the whole situation? Uh, my thing is, is when you can't something you can't control. You know, you can't let your emotion take over. Uh, my thing is, hey, I still had a job. Just go show them, hey, they get the best of the deal. And, you know, just go and show the fans that, hey, you know, the Knicks got the best of the deal. I'm going to play hard and bring I bring emotion. I'm going to bring an attitude to the game, toughness. So that was right down New York. You know, that's what they look for. You know, be focused and come out and play every night. No matter if you win or lose or draw, play hard and play with passion. So, Oak, you end up being all-rookie first team in 86. If you could flash back to back then, kind of give me an early scouting report on Michael Jordan. Did you think he was going to be the greatest, uh, maybe the greatest of all time at that time? Uh, I mean, you go by practice, you know he's going to be great because my thing is practice. That's why the game came. He practiced hard than any of the guy I've ever been around and, and worked on his craft. So when the game came, it came easy. Uh, so I'm just glad. Just get a chance to play. At first, I, I wasn't starting. I was on the second team, so I was like, no layups, little buddy. So he was pulling up. He, that's why his jump shots got so good because he had to pull up and get the mid range. But no, he's he's a great guy. He did great things for the league, his family. You know, I'm just glad that, you know I can call him a friend of mine. 
when you look back, I mean, again, you got a chance to play with so many great players. Is it easy to put Jordan number one in terms of your contemporaries or, or is there somebody else that you look at and you say, you know, maybe gets overlooked? Because I think something that Ed and I talk about a lot of times here on the show is that the league has so many great players in its history. And it's very easy, I think, sometimes to forget about all of those great players. Um, I mean, we use this word "great" like in like a little giveaway with candy. It, it, we got a lot of good players. There ain't a lot of great, great players, you know. Um, with them great players, as you can see, with like a LeBron who can be in the finals ten years, give yourself a chance to win, or like Michael Jordan, six out of eight years in the finals. I mean, that's when you start putting. You don't put great, you know, like King Lodge one. You know, we got a lot of other guys good, but they weren't great like them. So. It's a lot of it's an A A plus A minus, so a lot of them guys A minus A plus, but they still you know you take five guys be on the team, take whatever you on the dream team, all star team, but if you look at it like only about four or five guys was really great who can carry teams and make everybody around them better on a nightly basis, but other guys is real good, so I, that's why I said I try not to just you know. Put everybody, you know, because they make the all-star team average 30 points. You know, average 30 points don't mean you're great. They mean you're just taking a lot of shots. Yeah, I, I would say, oh, you know, obviously I, I was with the Knicks for a long time. My favorite team, you know, the 94 team went to the finals, but that wasn't my favorite team. My favorite team was the 97 team. Because- I, I, I just said that the other day. I think the 97 team was the better team, yeah. And I, I, I feel yeah. like that's the team that should have won the championship. Uh, obviously, the fight. And David Stern messed everything up for us. Like, can you? T- does that always like? Does that leave like? I know it is. You would say it is what it is, but I, I feel like that was the team that should have won a chip. And I don't know. Does that does that bother you today, or you ever think about it? Well, I mean, like I said, I was talking about this because you know, me and Frank we doing the book, so that came up, and he was asking me. Even though we went there ninety four, but I thought the ninety seven team was better because you know we. We was knocking at the door. They said, further you go, you feel mature. If you, if you get there one year, the next year you feel the repeat because you feel the ass a piece to what happened the year before. You just hold to come back and play smarter. But, I mean, you know, we, all that stuff come up because I'm already around Mike a lot. And he talk a lot about, oh, you're born at the wrong time, da, da, da. You know, John was too small and, you know, Pat Riley had y'all so messed up in the head and he didn't want y'all talking, nobody. So he's like, we playing with handcuffs from the get-go. Like, your coach not letting you focus on the game because he worried about what you're do- doing with another guy on another team. So I, I get that a lot from him. Because every- you know, we go in and we-, we like, every time we go together, cause I say, you know, if, if I can travel 90% of the time and get calls and then si- you're playing six against five, I, w- I would have a championship too. So think about that, buddy. Okay, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Oak, I'm not surprised that you bring up '97 because Ed and I always talk about that team. I think that's definitely the team that uh, we feel, you know, should have should have won it all. But I I also look back at '94, and I I think that's got to be a year where you you know it, it sinks in that it was just so so very close. And I think a lot of Nick fans, uh, you know, appreciate uh, the trio, of course, of, of you, Patrick and, and, and John Starks. And, uh, you know, that year you end up playing in 107 
starts, uh, you, all of the regular season and postseason games. Is that something that you're very proud of, knowing that you were able to to show that kind of durability in the league? I mean, I was like, I was built for that. Uh, yeah, I'm glad. I, you know, I think it was, it was a record. Still, it was a record. Still a record. But anyway, it was it was something uh, you think about. But my goal was to uh, just perform and. We win a championship. Um, just playing the games, yeah, it was something. But at the end of the day, it's about winning the chip. So stats you know, on the good, stats I, on the good for somebody who just keep up with them. But when you win a championship, everybody know you win that. I think it's it's very easy, Ed with this phone again. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's very easy to you know look back at that team and and again maybe Nick fans you know uh, realize it's a missed opportunity. But I also tell people all the time that Rockets team was was an extraordinary team and maybe even better looking back at it uh, than in that particular moment when you look back at the at the lineup and the roster that they had. Well, I think we won. Well, it hurt us that we really couldn't get – we didn't get a lot out of Patrick in that series. Um, Keem, I think his number was 27 to 12. Patrick Harris, 17 to 9. When your best players, what we talk about, your super, superstar, playing against another superstar, you fall to count on one another. So when Keem averaged 27, he averaged 16, 17, we basically – every game went to the wire five, four or five points. Um, I mean, he just, I mean, you can have some bad games, but now when you can, your touches all the game, it's not, and you're to be the alpha for your team. And a lot of people are like, well, you said Patrick couldn't carry a team on his back. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, he wasn't, he was the type of guy, he can be in a band, but he can't be the lead singer. He can play the instruments, but at the end of the day, you know, he gets he get his numbers, but I think that like special, we know we was playing the Bulls, not Houston. The Bulls, we 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 played right into the Bulls' hand. We didn't we didn't try to trap them. We didn't try to move the ball enough because one shot in transition, they're gonna kill you anytime. They get two 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 good of athletes in transition, and I was you tell Pat Riley, you don't sub unless they sub because it's something like you watch the film of when we played them. Anytime we sub two guys, they sub one. They always. See, they get on a run, six to eight point run, and against the Bulls, it's hard to break into a lead. You know, when you got Michael, and you know you're getting half a whistle here and there, so it's tough. It's a tough fight. I mean, so many of those series though were seven games. I, you know, I guess they could, you know, yeah. so many of them toss up, toss up kind of series. Yeah, well, that's another thing I was told, Mike. Like, don't let's sit here like you just blew it out about twenty every time. You know. The games with you know two or three possessions in the last minute, minute and a half, we we'll make the shots. So, or you know, most of the time we that's what we, that's what hurt us a lot. We couldn't make shots down the stretch, you know. So we had to leave. We'll be right there. We just we just couldn't make the big shots. And free, look at the huh? And free throws hurt us. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you think you were missing a player at that time, Oak? I mean, there were so many rumors uh, at that time, we, like we Mitch Richmond. Or... Player, but you, but you got to play with what you got. You got to start by – well, against uh, Houston City, uh, Pat Riley wouldn't play Orlando or Doc. Uh, he told Doc, you know, I think he had told him, like, we couldn't bring the wives or someone trip until we get to the finals. And I think one of the guys brought the wife. He didn't play him in the playoff. So, hold a grudge and – 
I mean, I think we had enough. If we would have got balanced calls to here and there, we we never got a break. Like I said, Reggie Miller, Patrick missed the layup. Charles Smith couldn't get the, you know. I mean, we didn't get a call. When we needed to get a call, we didn't get a call. We had three chances. that we, we, One one call. Uh, they said we got a call with Hubert David made the shot and Scotty fouled at the top of the key. But I'm just saying, like, it's just like we every big time, we every time we need something good to happen, I don't know if it was a, it was a ghost or something in the building, but we never could besides that one time with Hubert David. I blame Edgar Burgos, Charles. I, I, I saw him. Anybody, anytime Edgar's on the bench somewhere, it's a guaranteed L. I, I keep telling him, I said, I've, I've cried twice watching basketball. So, and mm. 97 once one time. And 99 was the second time. So, oh, yeah. They had a chance to 99 against San Antonio. Yeah, we did. That, you know, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. we were shorthanded. We were shorthanded that series. Guys yeah. Were, they were banged up. But, you yeah, know. They made it. Well, at least they made it. They, they made it to the final twice in the 90s. So, some teams didn't even make the playoff in the 90s. Yeah. I want to, like, push forward to, like, when you played to Toronto and you lost that epic uh Seven game series to uh Philly. Philly. Yeah, um, it was a heartbreaker. I think yeah. that uh, I thought that was our year of being the Raptors for three years. Um, because you know, we was young, we had veteran players. Uh, but we, we, I mean, you know, the work you gotta put the work in to get it out. And I think that uh, when we beat the Knicks with the t- Philly. Uh, we weren't prepared enough, even though we won the first game, up 12 in the second game. They went back and forth, and Vince went to the graduation, and it, 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 it was right there for, you know, the, you know, for the take it, but like I said, we just, just it just didn't happen. That game really went to the wire. It was amazing that all the games went to the wire. Do you think guys were guys upset that Vince went to the to his graduation? I thought that um, I mean, I don't think it was a problem, but you know. Well, he got he made it back. So my thing, we we like I said, we lose as a team and we win as a team. And he felt that was important for him. You know, you got to take care of yourself first. And so, like I said, we, I ain't like we got blown out. We had a chance to win. That was the most like, okay, could we keep the game closed or could we win? Well, we was right there to the end. So, I mean, it's just like somebody had to go to, to their parents' funeral. So he had to go. He had to go. What was it like mentoring Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady? Oak. It it wasn't hard. Uh, they was eager to learn. Trace was there the year before Vince got there, and uh, Vince was just high out of college. He didn't know what he was gonna do in the pros. But when you have a lot of veterans telling you, "We got your back," you don't worry about nothing. Just just perform every night, show up to play. We gave him motivation, and uh, and he you know he, he could jump high as a you know to the top of the backboard. So. With that, and you know, people keep telling you, Vince, yo, man, just it's your, it's your team, do what you want to do. We got your back, so we was encouraging him at all time. And he put two and two together, got four, and never looked back. Was it kind of cool to know that you had a whole country that never had basketball that yeah. supported you? Well, it, you know, it was it was a hockey town, you know, the Maple Leaf, you know, they won like eight championships back in the 40s and 50s. And they haven't made that transition to basketball. They was going. They were just going because it was new. They wanted to, you know, get the feeling. But Vince Sanity came in, changed the whole game. He just 
he took that country and put it on his back. And he also know, ruined the dunk contest too, Charles. It's never been the same since. Yeah, well, hey, like I said, he put the country on his back. I told him last year when he put a statue, it should be Kawhi Leonard and Vince Carter facing one another. I would like to see them play one on one. Who would you take? Ooh. I, I would take. I, I mean, I would probably I take, I'd take Vince in one on one. Yeah, Vince, Vince had some stuff. One leg, two. I mean, he, he fade back. He was. He was like. He was like a Mike and Kobe, but he just. He 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 didn't have he didn't he didn't have that tenacity he didn't have that I'm a I'm gonna pull your eyes out every night you know but he was a great player but he didn't have that if he had that we probably would have won a championship in Toronto. Just because did you, did you think Frederick Weiss would agree? Huh? I was wondering if you thought Frederick Weiss would agree. I I think he's buried somewhere underneath that poster that Vince Carter had uh, in the <laughs> USA uh, basketball. Um, that classic dunk that Vince had. Oh, well, oh, it was on the dream team, not the dream team, the Olympic team. Yeah, Olympic team. When he jumped over the guy, yeah. Oh, yeah, he can fly. I, all the two guys did that with him, Clyde, and somebody else. Clyde, Clyde could jump back in the days. Clyde Drexel, when he jumped over the guy, but did you Vince, think, I was gonna say with Tracy McGrady, did you think like when McGrady left, um. Do you think if he would have stayed, you guys probably would have won the chip? Oh, man. We, I think, yes, because we would have had two Olympic scores, two athletic guys, you know, a two, three, and you could switch and probably play three, four. I mean, when you got lift like that and Tracy was a good, good defender, you know, Vince was okay. But for a scoring, both of them can get their own shot. Both of them can make shots. And with Butch being a great coach, putting them in positions at all time for they, you know, to to succeed in their game, it was like it was been lights out. Who won those one on one battles? Uh they just they I don't know, it could be 35, 36. They was they was neck to neck. But it was good to see two young guys, you know. To have you know that type of skill and want and willing to, and wanted to get better, and I talked to both of them after they left, and they say it was nothing like Toronto. I mean, no other place was like Toronto. I'm not saying Toronto was all oh, this and that. It was just saying how the guys pushed them, wanted to see them do well. The other team was just lax days, and sometimes you get you get pushed. Now you go somewhere else, and they ain't pushing you. You fall back to your old self, and. They, you know, both of them are still like the, you know, on the court, this and that. But I think them teams would have pushed them like we did in Toronto. They probably could have had a chip in Jersey, in Orlando, or maybe Houston with uh, Tracy. Oh, you end up playing uh, with Washington in 0203. Uh, did you ever think at that point that you would play with Michael Jordan again? Uh, no. Uh, no, I didn't think. I thought when I retired from um, that was it. Then, you know, MJ, we had played ball all that summer together in um, Chicago. And, you know, just, you know, he's you know, coming back. So it was always a basketball game. And I didn't go to maybe, like, I didn't go in September. October. I probably would have joined them in, like, November after the season started. And uh, he called me. I'm like, sure, I'm in good shape already. I always keep myself in shape just in case back then. I still keep myself in shape now, but 
probably not basketball sake, but I probably go down the court 20 times. So I know in this day and game, it ain't about the NBA great shape, just go up down the court. But no, nah, I just, it was, it was like, you know, went to Washington, had a good time. We, uh, you know, a lot of young guys, but we, we fought our way through it. It was, it was, it was a learning experience. Yeah, I mean, that actually leads up to my two follow-up questions because I, I was curious how hard it was for you to step away from the game in 2004 because you were in uh, such good shape. <laughs> it, it wasn't hard. It was, you know, when they don't call you or you don't go to training camp, that's when you got to make the trans, you know, go, you know, go do what you was doing and try to find some other skill, you know, do this, do that. So then I start cooking more. I start doing my, myself, um, trying to – you know, stuff off the court, just going to the shelters and home, you know, just showing love. Doing, I was always doing basketball camps, uh, just trying to change my whole demographic and show people I can, I can just after the NBA and I'm, I'm, I'm going straight up. I'm going straight up, not straight down and just keep going up. Yeah, I mean, the second follow-up there was just, you know, I, I, it's funny because I think we could probably have a show behind the show here at uh, Step in the Arena because Ed and I, you know, our pre-production meetings are crazy. But we were talking about back in 07 about how you were making this uh, NBA comeback. Uh, you know, how serious were you at 44 years old in 2007 about maybe coming back to the league? Because there were several teams, including the Knicks, that were interested in having Charles Oakley on the roster. Well, they didn't call me. So <laughs> I knew I was in shape to come back. No, it was just... And I guess people had seen me play. I was playing a lot, like in Vegas with the guys. And then everybody like, you can still play up and go up and down. You know, because you're you playing four or five games and, you know, going to eight, you know. So I thought I was ready. But like I said, I really didn't get a call. So I didn't fight it. You know, just you always can throw your name out there and see them out of the bite. So I was cool with it. It was like, you know, at least I had some, you know, like I felt I had something left in the tank. I could help some teams. Yeah, one of the things that you know I love about you is that and that no, that you should get more recognition for is your business mind. Um, you know, you when you was playing, you know, you had you know car washes and you always had a business mind, but you never like you know you talked about it in the locker room much. Um, I just want to talk about like you know what made you know back then while you was playing that you know you needed to have business after your career was over and build from there. Well, you know, they said I always prepare for a rainy day. And I think my friend in Cleveland, like Nate, Nate Gray, when I was a kid growing up in Cleveland, you know, playing basketball, and this other guy, Clint Smith, if I heard of. So he had gas stations. He had, like, a little small construction business. And I knew a couple of my friends had car washes. So I was like, okay, let me try to – the first thing I did, I got into the car wash. Then I tried to get into, uh, uh, you know, like a little restaurant. I'm trying to, you know, I try to get into like, you know, construction. You know, I built my own first car wash in Cleveland. I think my sixth year in the league, I built a from the ground car wash. Like, you know, I had a limo service, I had a club. So I was, you know, putting things together and uh, trying to get a nice portfolio. You know, so one, if one thing don't work, maybe the other one works. So I try to three or four things, try to keep going at one time. And like you said, you know, it's hard to be successful with everything, but everything helped his own. So it was just, you know, I, I had an uncle coming up in Cleveland back in the 70s and 80s. He had like 10 gas stations. And I know for 
a black guy back in them days, you would never expect him to have ten, you know, like eight or ten gas stations and this and that. So he had got lucky, hit the number, he had a barbecue place, so all that stuff. And then the food, you know, my food skill was just always crazy, and that's what I'm doing now a lot, a lot of giving back to charity and uh, especially like. Skid Row, Nashville, these big, big, big cities who got these shelters and stuff. So, I just try to, you know, not just, you know, say I'm gonna do everything for myself. I like to see people happy, so that's why I do all the cooking events. Um, decided to do the book. I know that, you know, when I was on Dance with the Stars, it was uh, I did it because from my mom, family, friends. The last time they see me on TV, I was getting pulled out of the garden. So it was like to reverse the mind to something good. How how was the Dancing with the Stars experience for you? It was great. That was well. They had called me a couple of times before. I turned it down. So since the pandemic was going on, I said, you know what? I got some time. My schedule is free. So let me go and just do this. I mean, I you know I I knew I wasn't the best dancer in the world, but I knew I can catch on. And my thing was finish my routine and don't fall down. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what I did. I tried to, you know, I wasn't bad, people. You know, I looked at it. You know, I'm six nine, but you know, when it size, I said I was eighteen, but I really was sixteen. The judge was tough. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, it was tough. But I guess they get me ready for my go to court with this case in New York. So I know they're gonna be tough. But I, I, I know what. I, I, at the end of the, at the end of that minute, I was still standing up. So that's all I could do. Okay, how do you want the fans to remember you? Oh man, fans in New York, great fans. I just want to remember me as a hard worker, guy who no nonsense and put it all on the line every night on the court. And you know, I love the city. It's a good place to be. I mean, even if uh, even if the Nets are going to win the championship this year, <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> Like I said, you get the best team. That's what you have a chance. When you don't have the best team, you don't have a chance. I mean, I, I just, I just hope Knicks can get back right. Uh, I don't wish no bad luck on them because I was part of that team back in the nineties, and then we need to bring that type of ball back. Uh, I know they take a lot of threes now, but just, just show the fans that hey, we're gonna play hard every night and get ourselves a chance. And the fans will, I'll give you love. You know, as long as you go out and compete, and you know, when you off. If you miss five or six shots, do something else. You know, I, you know, you hear the fan be like, you know, if all you can do is score, if you can't score, the coach need to take you out, this and that. No, I mean, as a ball player, you know, you, you know, you should know. But some guys just get like, you know, selfish. When you get selfish, it don't help the team. Yeah. Oh, my last question. Uh, you know, you've been around Mike as a businessman, and not, and obviously you've seen LeBron grow up to be a great businessman. Like, do you and you you talk to both of them? Like, are they similar as far as like similar minds as far as business and you know and life and how they look at things? Uh, I mean, they're different. I mean, you know, Mike different, LeBron different. I can't say they similar. They, uh, I don't think it's they similar. Both of them are great. They great athletes. They great ball players. Probably the best two players to play basketball. Uh, for uh, LeBron is, you know, he do a lot more social justice. Uh, he do a lot more in the community for us. Like he built a school, and uh, he he really go to bat for situations. And MJ more laid back and just let his body work show. 
But like I said, I take my hat off to MJ. He he, uh, he said enough is enough, he, and he stood up and donated a hundred million dollars to this to this to the situation was going on with in social justice. But I think that uh, when he bought the the Bobcats and he bought the he got the Nassau team, his brand, you know, Michael Jordan brand with Nike just over the top. Um, he, he got a lot of stuff going on. So if he's not doing a lot in the community, but he's creating jobs because he's buying stuff and people, anything you buy to operate, somebody got to work. So they got a whole different, they got a different ways of doing things. But at the end of the day, how can you uh, knock two guys like that over their career and what they had done on and off the court and been over the top? You know, Oak, uh, when I was watching the All-Star game uh, this past week, I, I get nostalgic. You know, I think Randy and I were talking about it, you know, about those special All-Star games in the past. And I, I think the image that will always stand out, you know, of course, not just the finals for the Knicks uh, in 94 and, and, and the great playoff teams, 97, but is that great All-Star image of you Ewing and Starks uh, from 94. I think it's just a, a great photo and one of those classic uh, pictures that most Nick fans would really, uh, really like to have up on their wall. Uh, yeah, I think that I don't know if, if that semi some Knicks had three uh, playoffs all star, but uh, it, was, it was, yeah, I got voted on late. Uh, John and Patrick had made it. I think I, they brought me in as a sub for Alonzo. But I, it was just great to be there. I know in my career, I was not going to do it. Never got in by because you know, Mikael, Barkley, few other guys in front of me. You know, they had more. You know, score. They probably scored more. And they more like made more to the lead than me. I think that uh, I think I worked harder than anybody. You know, but I didn't let that get me down. I didn't just play the game to make an All Star team. I would have a championship any day to be an All Star team. So. I'm just glad I got a chance to play and get the feeling, you know, I put the work in and, you know, uh, play 18 years and, you know, the goal was to win a championship. All-Star game be great for record, but, you know, the championship was the most important thing. Just one ring. So um, I didn't get it. <laughs> well, in, in my mind, Oak, you definitely deserve to have that jersey hanging in the rafters at the Garden. Um, def definitely one of the greatest uh, to ever wear the uniform. I appreciate it. Well, when that stuff happened in the garden with me, and we had a meeting, and uh, that came about in a big way. Oh, you know, we retired, you know, I'm going to get to Indiana about a, two weeks later, and da da da. And now you sit front row. And I'm like, I want to see my flag. I want to see my number outside with the flag. You know, not a secondary flag. I'm starting the garden because what you've done to me is, you know, why you want my jersey in here? You don't want me in here. So. I don't mind getting cold. Yeah, I, let, I, me fly, it, let, let me fly outside. <laughs> I believe one day it will happen. Um, you know, hopefully, you know we're still young enough to see it. Right, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's that's the goal. So you know, that's I think it's gonna happen eventually. Well, well, I think if if Bernard King in the Hall of Fame is not up there, it's like gonna be it's like gonna be tough for someone else to go up. Yeah, my thing, my thing is like Bernard King for me. For me, I mean, obviously, I was young when he played. He's not a Hall of Famer for the Knicks. He had two good seasons with the Knicks, great seasons. Doesn't make him a Hall of Famer with the Knicks. I wouldn't yeah. even deny his number because he had two great seasons with the Knicks. That's it. But if you're a Hall of Fame, you're a Hall of Fame. 
I no, mean, exactly. if you ask him which team would he want to go in the Hall of Fame in, he probably said the Knicks. But they haven't treated him right. But when you let somebody jerk you around, they can always jerk you around. So he been, he been a jerk guy because he he ain't he ain't he don't stand up. You know, when you you look at his documentary, what happened to him when he was in Louisville. I mean, uh, Tennessee. Was it Tennessee? Tennessee. Yeah, and and you go through his his mindset. He's from Brooklyn. What he said, what happened, this and that. I think he got arrested or something. The police, I don't know. It's a story that, you know, it just like they got the best of him because he he had this militant mind, but I guess once they put him in a police car, put him in jail, it changed his whole life. So I don't know. I don't really. I told him after the incident happened, he had, I seen him at John Stark's dinner. And, uh, I'm like, why did you go sit beside this man after this happened? He said, well, my wife wanted to go to a game. I said, you know what? They had a lot of other home games. I mean, why would you? They're like, you pray, you prayed in the parade with him. Like, F me. And I like, I, I, this, that, that, I said, that didn't sit well with me. And I, and I went off on him. I told him, like, you know, you don't do that. You know, you know who you're dealing with. You ain't going to get away with that with me. So... I had to let them have it. I thought I don't play games. I I can see why the title of the book is what it is, Charles. It's <laughs> <laughs> real though, man. It's that, hey, when you get that book, I'm telling you, this book might sell five million copies in, in six months because it's gonna be so hype. Are you talking about June, June, July, June or September? Probably. Uh, we gonna should be uh, pre-sale. Hope we can sell a million pre-sale. But I'm saying. The book should be out late, no later than August or September. But I'm saying the, the, the stirs in there, what happened, how the, you know, police is, you know, throw me in the car and drive me around for four or five hours. It's just, it's just crazy. Uh, I, you got a good person who, 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 you know, helped you write it, Frank Isola. So, yeah. And tell him, it's going to be a different book like nobody ever wrote before. So, hopefully, that we can do a movie of it. That's going to be hype. Yeah, I think that's a good place too for us to wrap, Charles. You know, ten top ten in rebounds per game five times between '87 and 1994. 1994 All Star and NBA All Defensive First Team that year. Eighteen years in the league, the Oak Tree, Charles Thank Oakley. You. Everybody oh, appreciate the time you. tonight. You're the best. No problem. Thank you, sir. Well, sorry about last time, but we got it in. Yes, we did. <laughs> like, All right, guys. Appreciate I'm you. <laughs> That was awesome interview, Ed. I think it makes up for taking a this for two weeks. I try, man. I'm so you know. I hey, appreciate I, you. I try, you know. It, I don't it, know what else to say? Even if the backdrop for you tonight is as bad as it's ever been, I really, I, I appreciate you. You know, there's lights coming around you. I know if you're listening audio style, you don't see all this, but hop on YouTube, check it out, because Ed is just he. It's like wearing sweatpants to work right I'm now. Gonna, this this gonna, is the equivalent. I'm gonna switch up. I'm gonna cover it like this. <laughs> no, that was that was really super awesome tonight, and obviously, uh, you know, Oak is the best. I like I said, I, I really. You know, Ed, I firmly believe that he uh, – I, I don't know if it will happen. I would love to see it happen, but I think he deserves to have that honor of having his jersey, that number 34, hanging in the rafters at the Garden because uh, he gave his heart and soul to the Knicks. And and you know that, you know, working for the team for so long and being there for all those great playoff teams and and knowing him and, and watching him day to day. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to ask him tonight, but for me as a, as a student at Purchase – 
I got a chance to watch him a lot of times uh, practice, you know, out, outside of, of their organized practices. And they would have these unbelievable pickup games. You know, I, it almost was like a privilege to just even be in the in the gym to watch those pickup games between, uh, you know, guys like him and, and Patrick. And even guys would come back after they had been traded to other teams. I remember John Wallace being, uh, you know, away from the Knicks at that point. I think he might have been in Detroit and had come back in the summertime for some of these classic pickup games that they would have. And, you know, Charles Oakley was was great all the time, whether it was a regular season game, a playoff game, a pickup game. He was as good as, as anybody in that era, especially uh, defensively and rebounding the basketball and doing all the little things that maybe other players might not want to do. I know that all the love for the scorers, but, you know, Oakley did a lot of the things that might not show up uh, in the box score uh, like the points do. But what a great player. Yeah, my thing is, like, he, he was able to play with Mike. Like you say, he played with Patrick. He played with Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady. I mean, he's played with some of the best players ever to grace the court. So he definitely has a story. I'm definitely looking forward to the book. Yeah, um, I'm excited for the sure, book. You know, I'm pretty sure he, it's going to be controversial. So it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. He definitely does not hold any punches when it no. comes to answering we're, questions. You know, he'll I, give you the. I told you. <laughs> yeah, he, he'll give you the full uh, the full court press, as they would say. Uh, you know, and uh, not surprised by some of his remarks tonight. I, I think, um, I think there's merit to some of them. I, I don't, I don't think he's out of line. Uh, I think it's very interesting to see sometimes what goes on at the Garden, and it's, it's not like it's something that's just coming from insiders. I think even, even some of the fans have been uh, privy to some of those types of things that go on, and and I'll never understand it, uh, even not as a non-media person, as a fan, as a Nick fan. Um, I don't, I don't understand totally, uh, what, what the vibe is sometimes at the garden and it's never changed whether they've been good or bad. It's kind of been the same, the same vibe at MSG regardless. Yeah. I mean, eventually I keep saying, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to change as far as like, you know, the way some people treat some people. I think guys look, but like I, I told you, I'm a big, uh, Tibbs guy, you know, I, I stand with Tibbs a hundred percent. I stand with Leon. And Wes, I think those are – it's a start. Those guys are good. Um, you know, it's just trying to get the right players and just have good people around, you know, to keep building the program, and then they'll be fine. Yeah, I know that they don't have a superstar right now, but this is the first time that I've felt a sense of true optimism. I think in the past one of the things that Randy and I have spoken about – it's just the fact that, you know, even in some of their better seasons when they win 50 games, I felt sometimes that they would band-aid things. You know, they would they would sign veterans and get maybe the last ounce or two out of them. And it was fun and exciting, but I never had the impression that they could win an NBA championship even when they were at their best, let's say, in the last 15 years. I really feel that once that core group of Patrick, Charles, and, and Starks, and then, of course, maybe the next wave in Houston and Sprewell, that last little bit of uh, championship pedigree that might have been there. Once they were gone, uh, I've never had the sensation that the Knicks could could win it all since. I actually disagree. Um, I actually believe the, the year the Knicks won 50, 50 uh, two games. With Melo? Uh, with Melo and Amari. I felt like that was a championship team. Um, obviously, they lost in the second round to the Pacers. But I think Epic series. I think if that series would have went, they would have played Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. They would have had a good shot to beat Miami. Um, it hasn't been the same since. Um, you know, 
you know, I get it why guys like Randy would be so optimistic. I just don't try to get too high because I've seen it before. And I'm not going to go crazy on Twitter like as a Randy would do or or some other guys would do and be like, oh, my God, you know, okay, they won a game. All right, cool. They, they're improving. But I'm not going to go crazy. You know, I have to see consistency. I have to see it for a couple of years. Just And then that will give me hope compared to just – one having one good season, you know, obviously we have a good friend, Anthony Donnie, who goes crazy after every victory. Um, but, you know, I love him to death, but you're not going to have me all hyped up because of one season. You know, my thing is like, it's great that they're improving, but, you know, let's, let's see them do this next year. Let's see them do that the year after. So then we can, I can be like, you know what? All right. They're building a championship team. Yeah, I just think like Oakley said, I think that they are kind of tearing a page out of the Brooklyn notebook in the sense of, you know, maybe trying to get back to respectability and have some young players and build it really from the bottom up. It didn't seem like they just went out and uh, used that cap space to just sign anybody. I think there's been kind of like a rhyme and reason to the players that they've acquired and then, of course, the players that they've drafted and then acquiring all these future draft picks, which could easily set them up to acquire more good players, young talent. I think there is that level of optimism in that way. I know it's, you know, when you think about it at the end of the day, Ed, it's really still like a mediocre basketball team. You're talking about a team that's, you know, 500 or a couple games over 500, uh, better than it's been. But, I, you know, it, again, right now, I don't think they're in any sort of position, whether they make the playoffs as a fifth or sixth seed, to legitimately win an NBA championship. And you and I have talked about this. There's usually only, you know, a handful of teams, maybe four teams that could really win the whole thing, or that's how it kind of feels in the NBA. There's not really a longer list than that. So I, I, I highly doubt that if the Knicks are the fourth, even the fourth seed in the East, that you would have them in that small sample size of conversation, at least this year, especially without a star to be the NBA champs. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I mean, a Nick championship right now is if the Nick go to the second round of the playoffs, you know, that's a championship yeah. team. So that's like, that's the fans going crazy. Oh my God, we go second round, you know, next year. And then it's about NY. We know what NY stands for and NY stands for next year. So, so it is what it is. <laughs> Well, I don't want to be Debbie Downer and close on that, but again, I'm hoping that uh, we can be a little bit more optimistic as we kind of, you know, progress here with this Knicks team, and maybe Tibbs kind of keeps getting, you know, getting them in the right frame of mind to keep getting better, or at least maybe finish the season on a high note, make the playoffs, and uh, if nothing else, I guess we have the Oakley book this spring to look forward to. Yes, yes, I can't wait to read it. Well, I want to thank Charles Oakley for being on the show with us tonight, and again, we want to thank all the fans for tuning in and. Appreciate uh, Edgar Burgos for booking Mr. Oakley to join us, uh, even if he is cheating on us with other podcasts and taking <laughs> breaks periodically here. We're happy to be back on Step in the Arena. We expect to be back next Thursday night with another great show. Right, next Thursday, we got two great guests coming. I'm taking off next week. Forget you. We got two great guests coming. You cannot leave me by myself. Go ride your motorcycle early. We'll be back next next Thursday at 930. <laughs> All right, man. Cut it off, man. Cut it off. That's it. Step in the arena. We'll see you next Thursday night.